The red triangle symbol was intended as a warning to keep children away from films with extreme adult content. Instead, it acted as a beacon for smut-seeking adolescents like us. Gallic troglodytes, the joys of shovel fighting, and say hello to Frank Booth's grumpy daughter. Make sure your headphones are on so your parents don't know you've stayed up this late for Midnight Video 39 with your hosts, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, a French caveman demonstrates some radical home improvements in black satire, femrock. When a jaded housewife can't even poison the dog successfully, her midlife crisis takes an unexpected turn in notorious comedy, Montenegro. And if Dennis Hopper is the man of the house, then your family's in deep trouble. We attempt an intervention for Out of the Blue. So Phil, your bags are packed and you're ready to go? Not quite, but you know, in, in my mind they are. I've been packing my boxes in a in a, in a mental way, projecting how they're going to be because the moving company does it all for us. So. You passed your driving test? Yes, I did two days ago, and I still have, I haven't driven since. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> um, and yeah, this is the last time we'll be recording together. It so is. This yeah. is why we're sitting here with uh, rather than our usual cheap booze, we've got some cheap champagne. <laughs> Cheers! Cheers, mate! You can hear the plastic clinking. <laughs> um, no expense spared. Yes. Anyway, let's not get too maudlin. The films we're reviewing tonight have a bit of a connection. Um, for listeners in the UK, it might be hard to really uh, uh, believe this now because Channel 4, for quite a while now, has been a home of, what, home improvement shows? Big, big Brother? Reality right? shows, still that kind there, of stuff. Yeah. No, I think they sold it to Channel 5. Oh, right. Or rather, okay. Ender Mulder. Come down out. with me is the only one I know, really. Tat, then, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Cheap tat. When Channel 4 started in the early 80s, it was synonymous with baffling art and pretentious kind of shows and filth the good shit the the good (laughs) stuff and this really came to a head I guess in like 1986 when they did a series which is still quite notorious called the Red Triangle Films now this was a genius piece of marketing by Channel 4 because they got all of their baffling art house pretentious stuff and put a big red triangle in the corner of the screen to let anyone who was just wandering home and had just turned on the TV after getting home from the pub because they were always on Friday nights at about midnight. Um, let them know that there would indeed be something challenging happening. Titillating. <laughs> 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 yes. Most people would hope. Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> so um, tonight we've selected three of these films and we're going to be um, dusting them down and looking at them afresh. You're too young to remember them, aren't you? I, I am, yeah. I mean, I. I was never allowed a TV in my room even growing up, so it, this all passed me by. Um, I only found out about this through Adam and Joe when they did a rundown of Channel 4 um, about 10 years ago. So maybe, yes. Maybe yeah. eight, 96, probably. I think it was 15 like, years of Channel 4 oh, okay. in 97, yeah. And they did like a little feature on it, and uh, yeah, so that that was my introduction to it. I'm big fans of them anyway. Yes. They, they highlighted, highlighted how uh, amusing it was. Okay, you ready to get started? Let's do it. Let's let's dive in. Devon! 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 Devon!
a middle-aged man who lives with his mom, has lost his mojo with the ladies and finds working life one big kick in the balls. However, reverting to his inner ape-man brings immediate success for the hero of 1973's Themrock. French society watches on in shock and amazement as the balding throwback converts his apartment into a grotto and sets about busting several thousand years of taboos. I'm not going to say I'm a big fan of uh, Michel Piccoli, who is the, the star as it were I've seen that post you've got on your wall it's a bit like the Shawshank Redemption when Raquel Welsh is there in the first bikini <laughs> except uh, balding with ginger frizzy hair well he is a bit of a James Corning thief lookalike he's, he's wonderful yeah or Art Garfunkel yeah, but he's not he, the most obvious of film stars no but he was there at a time when he was in Goddard's films he was in uh, Bunuel's films he was in one of my one of my favourite French films, Le Grand Bouffe, which is about four guys who eat themselves to the, death. The big beef. The, the, the big the big eat, the big yes. buff. Buff as opposed to buff. Buffet. Uh, let's not get into that. Yeah, we're going off, we're um, going off topic already. But he's, he's not shy of doing something weird in front of camera. And I'm sure when uh, Claude Faraldo uh, approached him and said, how would you like to play a Cro-Magnon? Um, factory worker in modern France. I'm sure he jumps at the idea, and bloody hell, he he's uh, ribald. Is that the yeah yeah? Is, that, is that a good uh, adjective? I think yeah. He he relishes this role. It's from start to finish. It's kind of his vehicle. Um, but I, I kind of I begin I've begun, but I don't know where to begin because I I missed out on the Red Triangle series and. I was about probably five or six years too young to like have a TV in my room and whatnot, but holy Christ, I loved this film. Good, that was Good. great. Yeah, no, this kicked off the Red Triangle season. That's one of the one of the reasons uh, it was chosen for this. Well, it's not quite a special, but that this one kicked it off, um, and it just sounded really fascinating as well. French guy, uh, again, I think we mentioned when we did uh, Tony Hancock's The Rebel. Um, Reggie Perrin was a very celebrated British sitcom about a, a middle class guy who's having a great time of his uh, well not having a great he's having a very comfortable existence and then just can't cope with it anymore has a midlife crisis this is kind of a version of that but he's very much just a factory schlub isn't he and uh, alright going back to when we did Small Creeps Day this isn't a fake film <laughs> this really does happen Although I gotta say that was one of the thoughts I had when I was watching it. Is this? Right. I was worried that when we were describing it, people were gonna think this sounds too much like Small Creeps Day, because <laughs> it is that guy who just can't take any more of it, can he? You know? No, no. And um, we've already mentioned that all three of the films tonight f were from the Red Triangle season, but the other thread that runs through them all is that they're all about people who just they're nonconformists, um, but not in a sort of arsy way. They really just can't cope with what they're meant to be taking from modern society and it's not a subtext or anything it's a very very clear very very clear idea that's going through all three of the films yeah, it's strange that it's like a and it's quite overt in some of the films but there's a subdued anarchy to it all yeah. there's something that they're, they're keeping with cert, within certain parameters but they're just saying like no fuck this shit <laughs> excuse me although my they're not saying it in this because <laughs> this, <laughs> this is uh, yeah well it's kind of a silent film there's no real dialogue in it is there? it could the, be Klingon well I was, gonna, I was going to ask you about this because obviously you're fluent in French now before you go over there <laughs> oui, monsieur. Uh, the version I watched didn't have any subtitles there's a there's a 
more scenes. There's a couple of scenes of dialogue, but I was imagining they were done... They, no. were, they were gibberish. Yeah, it, it is all gibberish. I right. like sat Estelle down to watch some of it, and she was just like, yeah, n'importe quoi. It, it makes no sense. It's nonsense. Yeah, It is right. gibberish, but it's in a very French way. And it is, what's interesting is was like, it's called Themrock, like T-H is you don't find that in French because they don't say th. Th mm. is impossible. Get a, get a French version to say th, z, like mm. z and z and them and zo. So it's quite interesting to have like to choose this I mean uh, Claude Feraldo I mean it's not the most French name Claude is French but Feraldo is quite Spanish maybe <laughs> uh, which is quite you know it brings up the idea of like Feraldo who I don't know I'm not familiar with his other stuff has been a, quite an anarchic um, director or certainly creator um, yeah I, it sets a precedent just the, 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 the name of it if, if you're aware of the language well, yeah, um, these red triangle films, as I, you know, we were getting to in the introduction, were seen as um, art house pretentious stuff with some gratuitous sex in them. Um, did you find this pretentious an art house? No, no, I think this is extremely knowing, and yes. it's it has a fantastic streak of humour going through it. It does. It does have a very serious point to make, but it had a f it, it it had the nous to do it with a lot of yeah. a lot of a lot of humour. There's another film that we're going to review after this one, actually, which reminded me in some ways of someone we always quote and love is Peter Greenway. There's something very knowing and knowledgeable about it all. Very dry humour. Yes. Yeah, extremely. I mean, it'd be our second or third show, but fourth or fifth was uh, The Falls. There could be a segment out of this in the falls, almost like. about a French factory worker who reverted. <laughs> yeah, but with his name, he could be like. Oh, actually, my wife's maiden name was a uh, Fallibois, so he could be F A L L I B O I S. Yeah, uh, there is definitely that. There's there's something just so knowing about it all. But like I said, there's like that uh, a subdued anarchy. That's the only way I can think of saying it because it, it it's it's formatted to a film and there's a, a context to it all but there's something free flow about it and anything goes so as usual we're describing kind of minutiae of the film without describing the <laughs> broad thing of it um yeah I, I mentioned reggie perrin earlier but it's a more working class version of it um he is brilliant the actor in this and uh it's done with very little di well no real dialogue it's you know gibberish um lives with his mom, lives with his sister which mm -hmm. we'll get onto a little bit later but wonderfully done how they convey this that uh, his mom, at the I think at the beginning of Themrock, the titular character is eating his breakfast but his mom comes out in a dressing gown and points at the clock and it's like three minutes past six in the morning got to get to work um, and as he's on his way to work through all the commuters he keeps having flashbacks to this but obviously over several weeks or months you know, his mom's probably not doing this out of any uh, with with any malicious uh, intent, but it's just one of these little habits that keeps it's just grinding reminder, him down. Yeah. Um, there is that odd stuff with his sister as well. Yeah, he likes his sister. He likes his sister, and she likes him. You're moving to France soon. <laughs> I have no sisters. Well, I've got half sisters in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, was, I was talking about this commuter scene that for me was, even though this does have a, a big seam of humour running through it I loved that commuter scene that wasn't done with so much humour but it was, because um, only recently I got to watch it. it's a very famous film, uh, Koyana Skatsi 
which has these very famous scenes which are, even if you've not seen that film it's been ripped off or paid homage to well uh, appropriated by a lot of advertisers since sorry I'm spitting all over you at the no, moment <laughs> um, with commuters rushing around like ants because you've cranked up the film they don't do that but it does have that feel of just everyone's reduced to rats or ants or something yeah, the, uh, there's a, it's a weird thing because um, I'm a big fan of like Gaspar Noe, um, who did like he was infamous for Irreversible, and he recently did Enter the Void. But his first two films was a short called Carne, and then he made a feature length called, uh, it's called I Stand Alone, and um, that's in a similar kind of setting. So it's like the early seventies, set in Paris, a Paris Parisian suburb, and it's so different from that though there's hmm. like there's no one there it's very sparse but it's quite odd to see this film from 1973 where yeah there's just people everywhere hmm. you know there, there are ants it's just a rat race in some yeah. way but it's not a rat race in how we know it it's just like survival it's just like yeah, everyone's I mean, just doing what they do a, it's an ant's nest a weird thing it reminded me of is um, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan I know when they did Dark Side of the Moon which is their big breakout album they did have a lot of footage they filmed for live concerts, I think. It was a lot of commuters going over London Bridge and things, or various areas of the West End of London, you know. But yeah, that whole that whole uh, opening 20 minutes is done with some seriousness. The rest of it is done with quite a lot of sitcom knockabout kind of sense to it. But um, this is when it gets to the meat of the film, which is him pretty much... Um, well, he's a, he's a factory worker, isn't he? He's a kind of industrial painter and decorator or something. Yeah, because he's basically, you know, you have this amazing scene in, um, they go to the factory in the morning, him and his mate it's cycle like a football there for team a little or something, bit. Isn't it? Yeah, because they've got like a bunch of lockers in the middle of the room. I mean, if you grew up in Britain, I mean, maybe it's still like that at school, but you know, you have your lockers in between and your benches either side, you get rid of your gym class or whatever. But they've got one guy's getting dressed up in white uh, overalls and the other in yellow overalls, and there's some there's some animosity between which them. which has been pushed onto them just by dint of them being given different different, different uh, jumpsuits. And that's stuff, it, yeah. yeah. Overalls, and they're all like that, very um, primal, and there's tribes forming there. And again, this is one of the scenes which does have I thought dialogue, but it's just gibberish. No, it's just absolute nonsense. Right, but they're just. <laughs> That's called French Jim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you, you know you've got this setting, so that's in your mind anyway. And then later on, he gets caught uh, painting the outside of the building, bit of voyeurism, looking into his boss's office, and he sees the boss's secretary being salacious to some degree, and he gets in trouble for this for like looking he inside. Gets pulled up short, and he's uh, yeah, he's taken up in front of the man. And he just kind of loses the plot from there in, uh, but in a in a weird kind. Of, he meanders into his madness. He meanders he? into it because then there's the, the the standout scene, which is uh, well, I say it's not the standout scene. It's the it's the pivotal scene. <laughs> God knows it gets a lot more um, standout. He gets marched off. He gets frog marched off by the guards, um, security guards, to the toilets. And whilst he's in there, he seems to have some incredible Hulk moment. Is not a physical thing, but he clearly has some mental breakdown and re-emerges as a much more primitive version of Cro-Magnon. 
and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. He immediately performs cunnilingus on the secretary. <laughs> she likes it. She was previously giving him the brush off. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, things are on the up and up for him. It's great. I I love it. He then goes home. I mean, this is a weird thing. Channel Four. Um, Channel 4 now known for lifestyle home improvement shows. Kirsty and Phil. This is him with his sister going off. And doesn't he harass some guy on a building site? Oh, the yeah. The guy's trying to give him a bit he's of... He's just taking some breeze blocks from... Because he, yeah. he relishes the fact that stuff's being destroyed. Like, basically, flats are being knocked out. Yeah. And he's like... It's, it's, Literally yeah. like that. He's just yeah. growling. At and him. you can see the like he loves the fact that the... You know, it's like Graham Greene, is it? Destruction is an, yeah. another form of creation. It, you can see that in his eyes, and yeah, he goes back with his sister to get some breeze blocks, and uh, the foreman is trying to get him away. He just like pure he alpha males him off yeah, the scale. He alpha male <laughs> but it's great because there's. Uh, it's not like he's just become a caveman. He obviously still has his modern nous because he's still applying that to then breeze block up the wall of his um, his apartment that he's living in. Mm makes it into his own so his mom can't get in I think mainly isn't it it's his own little area and then sledgehammers out of the wall yeah the exterior wall yeah so he's then just got you know he can growl at Paris pretty much throughout <laughs> there and it's wonderful that's an album title there growl, growl at, at Paris. Paris it's wonderful <laughs> um, without without spoiling the film as usual I mean a, a great thing that emerges from that is how the rest of society responds to this guy um, the police seem absolutely impotent don't they they turn up and make a bit of a show of you know sort this out but they don't actually go near him or they don't make any real efforts but there is a, there's oh, like sorry, a lot yeah, of tear right, gas being yeah, yeah. shot and that but they love that Pathetic, he loves though. it yes he's just yes. like yeah it's he like, like, it like it's like giving I don't know bags of prit stick to a glue sniffer <laughs> or something they just they really relish it because his his uh, neighbor uh, the female neighbor who's married to quite a like a, a weakling like effeminate kind yeah. of guy yeah she's really like she's fired up by all this isn't but she? again that's done with some subtlety i mean to begin with yeah you can tell she's kowtowing to her husband but she's kind of it looks initially like she's irritated that there's this noise of this guy with a sledgehammer you know uh, redecorating his house to put it one way um, and the husband doesn't seem to be going out of his way to stop it he just seems to be like maybe this will stop if I just ignore it after a bit and but it that, doesn't. there's something so primal about it, something like a troop of baboons or something or mm. the beginning of 2001 or any of those films where you see like a, 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 a troop of monkeys or apes like interacting it's very much like that there's this like, Denmark's this alpha male and everyone's kind of becoming awe of him and you have these little pockets of uh, society or humanity I'm sticking up two fingers either side yeah. there in, uh, in quotation marks but um, there's something really observant about how this is all panning out yeah. because what, what my uh, not issue with it was my observation at this time in uh, French cinema a big thing was to poke fun or certainly uh, be obnoxious about the bourgeoisie or you know the fact that anyone could be rich just for the sake of it which was always a target for filmmakers at the time this to me definitely seems like it's a he's just poking fun at life yeah. every every strata substrata of um, humanity um, he's he's pulling um, 
Claude Feraldo, along with Michelle Pickley as a central character, they're really just poking fun at everyone, just saying, well, look, wind your neck in. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, not as subtly as that. <laughs> no, because, um, yeah, I mean, that's the main point of it, is this becomes contagious. It's not a one-man revolt. Everyone else thinks, God, yeah, I wish I'd done that. And it, that's kind of how the rest of the film develops. Um, we won't reveal the ending, but did you find that... Uh, did? I mean, I've got to say, I found the ending a little unsatisfying after that build-up. Yeah, no, it. it I was thinking, I was thinking it was going to be some kind of punchline to it, but it was more. It petered out a bit. No, I, I didn't need a punchline because I think that the punchline was the beginning. Yeah. I think they started with the punchline. The, the, work, the punchline, yeah, yeah, they worked yeah. their way back. Yeah. And you can't take anything seriously. I don't think anyone who. Uh, yeah, because you just those opening credits of the punchline in a way mm. because it's. The, the title sequence is just hilarious and I think you might have mentioned this well maybe not before but you mentioned it about how it begins with uh, you thought that it might have been part uh, of some uh, artistic movement yeah something, something yeah. that was happening around it, that it time. felt it was a bit there's some I, yeah, I should have made like yeah, or there was, it felt a, like a there was some trademark. I thought the beginning was some guy with a camera as if this was part of some movement or a series of films it reminded me a bit of um when Powell and Pressburger did the archers, but I think you were saying dogme as well. There's this yeah, kind yeah, of little almost stuff. stamp that they have at the beginning to say. Yeah, well, there's like a, the dogma films. There's always this certificate that dogma yeah. ninety five, and it's. But I think that's just like a. Well, they don't do that. In <laughs> they don't stick two V's a yeah. V up in France. It's probably a middle finger. Um, I did want to remind you of midnight video connections. Okay. Um, so uh, Marilu Tolo was in Bluebeard Burton's oh, Bluebeard yeah. she was like the fascist lover that he married for a while who was very forthright and yeah, then no, I remember submitted because yeah. he, he smacks her quite, quite hard yes yes she's given a lot of feminist stuff at the beginning and then because um, I, I sampled she, that for either <laughs> I, I, I think, think it was one of your few uh, Sinescape I think it was a Sinescape yeah. one wasn't yeah. it yeah but I really I really love that <laughs> Um, and also there's um, the actress Miu Miu or Miao Miao or mm -hmm. I don't know how they say it in French to be honest who yeah I mean I recognised her name in the in the titles I've got to say I'm not that familiar with her stuff I saw I remember seeing a film with her in in the early 90s when she was a bit older she'd have been maybe 40 or something short blonde hair in this was she well one of the many attractive women in it she likes to yes. scratch Yes, 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 yes. She, she had itches, <laughs> urges. Sorry. Yeah, but, but uh, she's gone on to better things. Yeah, but the year after. Well, I'll um, say better things, Big, bigger things. Big. Um, but what I really loved to see was Patrick Dewey and Miu Miu were in the next year were in an amazing film called Le Valseurs, a Bertrand Blier film. Uh, Blier made similar kind of films, but uh, more. Uh, more narratively um, coherent, right? Okay. <laughs> well uh, worth watching. Well, I mean, a great a thing with this, we, we've we've not really gone on about too well. There's not much you can say about the fact that it doesn't have dialogue, but you you realise how that com is completely suited to the film. If it did have dialogue, it would have made uh, Themrock's character 
too removed, whereas it seems like everyone's kind of on an even keel after a while, isn't it? It yeah, makes it more acceptable that people seem to go along with his way of doing things. There's a whole superstructure there, you know, mm -hmm. there's like housing, there's cars, yeah. there's people can get petrol, people can buy food, there's writing, you know, everything's there for reality, but we just get sucked into that non-reality of it all. Yeah. Uh, it, it just becomes basics, doesn't it? And I think that's that's a beautiful play on it always like the fact that we're all subsumed and submerged in this notion of like how everything should be but like at the end of the day we're just going like Ugh. you want to stick it to let on something that we'll probably talk about with all three movies this was part of the Red Triangle season watching it now did you think there was anything in there that was particularly that made you think did you drop your tea? <laughs> no, it takes a lot. Did I've the seen, monocle drop in your champagne at any point? I've seen too many other films really for okay. it to do that. But, but yeah, in 1986, yeah, can you see anything here that you know you think, oh yeah, this is maybe why it was... Um, maybe the cunning lingus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though it's not graphic. It's not graphic at all, is it? Though? But the idea of like a man's head going between a woman's legs is probably quite subversive. Mm -hmm. In 1973, when it was filmed, and then being shown in Britain, you know, Britain, yeah. we're always going to be like 15 years behind the eroticism <laughs> of France. The cavemen, yes. Uh, and the policeman. Yeah, oh, I his, mean, his, his outcome. Yes, uh, yeah, as we mentioned in the introduction, several taboos get busted, so there's, there's kind of lingus incest, but yeah, yeah, let's throw it in cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. Again, not especially graphic, but just the whole idea of. Yeah, just um, I, I guess just that whole idea of doing well, it's very that amusing transgressive. Because the whole thing's like Mr. Bean if it was very transgressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a turkey on his head. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, what I like because in England we call policemen pigs, but mm -hmm. in French they're called poulet, uh, chicken. Right. They're called chicken, so you can eat both of them. So yeah, why not? Everything tastes of pork. <laughs> No, everything tastes chicken. chicken, doesn't it? Chicken. I was going a little uh, uh, fr uh, franglais there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we asked for uh, we asked if any of you guys had memories of the Red Triangle films, and we've got a little bit of feedback here. Do you want to kick off, Phil? Yeah, I'll go for it. I've got to say, I did have to because yeah, not everybody has memories of this. It was quite a specific. Uh, point in TV history. And so it's UK specific. UK well. specific. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the feedback here, I've had to prod some of the, some of my old school friends specifically, so <laughs> kicking off. Steve Timothy. Hi Steve. I watched some of the Red Triangle output. Well, the ones I could stay awake for. I can't particularly recall the content in any of them, but always remember the below, purely because of the title. Montenegro, Pig and Pearls. What a crushing disappointment on a 14-inch black-and-white TV with coat hanger aerial booster for improved reception. It failed spectacularly to deliver what a 14-year-old was expecting. The large red, in brackets grey, triangle, snowy reception and extremely low parental avoidance volume probably didn't help. I remember Steve telling me about Montenegro, which is one of the reasons we're going to be reviewing it in a few minutes. Kevin Mitchell, hi. Ah, yes, I remember falling asleep just before seeing any boobies as I didn't have access to my own personal VCR, just a portable black and white telly in my bedroom, and I couldn't very well record and watch smut on my parents in my parents' living room. 
I'm sure I was told by one of my school friends about a remote control tank with a dildo on the barrel being driven into a lady's special place during one of these films. I must have watched all the wrong ones because the, because the films I did stay awake long enough to watch. I, d I don't remember ever having any of the smut I was hoping for. Just a lot of art house, impenetrable dullness and occasional violence. <laughs> uh, Nigel Farmer. Looking at the Wikipedia page, I think my memory is playing tricks as I thought there were many more films. I always thought that Sebastian and the various Jarman films were part of this. I do remember watching some of the early ones though on my small recently purchased 12 inch black and white portable in my bedroom. There's a theme Nigel's emerging. two inches smaller yeah. than the other guys. <laughs> the various Goddard seasons were also very good for a bit of the old rumpy bumpy. I do remember Montenegro quite clearly, always thinking it was a Yugoslavian film, for the dildo on a toy train scene. Or am I thinking of a different movie? Definitely saw Themrock, but was that was exceptionally boring. Bad. Oh dear. I had seen much worse on those newfangled dirty videos and video nasties. Okay. And uh, Anthony Nesbitt. Hi, I can only recall Rene's Jonah, who will be 25 in the year 2000. Themrock, identification of a woman and throw away your books. Oh, I forgot. SDR also showed two films by Dusan Machiavest. How do we pronounce this? I think it's Makviev. Makviev. Montenegro is the one involving a dildo being attached to a remote control car in a strip club. And WR, Mistress of the Organism. It, it's put orgasm here. Actually. <laughs> it's organism, though. It's <laughs> it can be whatever you want. <laughs> uh, the latter is a classic example of what it is, whatever that is. Um... Actually, I should point out there. Yeah, wasn't Mikael Dias was very keen for us to review the Mikael was very, very keen on us to review that. We're, we're getting there. Well, we haven't got much time, <laughs> have we? Um, but, yeah, we did, we did cluster those together because one of the most vivid memories of the Red Triangle season everyone seems to have is of a dildo on a remote controlled tank or whatever. A few, few sketchier <laughs> memories there. Or, yeah. So, Phil, you've been, your eyeballs have been rolling around during all of that. Are you ready for a little uh, Montenegro action? Uh, excuse me, sir. We're looking for Mr. Montenegro. Montenegro is me. Woo a nuclear family, Marianne Faithful albums, and Wiener Schnitzel are not enough to satisfy Marilyn Jordan. But a new wilder life is just one running with airport security away as Marilyn falls in with a gypsy community who do things a little differently. Zookeepers, Free love and remote-controlled sex toys are all part of the eye-opening fun in 1981's Montenegro, or Pigs and Pearls. From that feedback we've just had, I mean, I was very good friends with uh, Steve when we were at school, and I remember him talking about this uh, remote-controlled tank with a dildo on the end, um, and that the film was called Montenegro. So for many, many years, I was wondering what the hell it was. In my mind, I had an image of a certain kind of film, and actually I have watched... This isn't going to be a full review of uh, W.R. Mysteries of the Organism, <laughs> When I did watch that film, though, a few mm. years back, I thought it was going to be something like this. So it's kind of a coincidence that they're the same director. Mm. Um, like I say, we're not going to review WR now, but have you seen that? I haven't watched it yet. No. All right, it's a bit pointless me asking you then. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought this film, Montenegro, was going to be something a little wilder and quite um, art student-y. Lots of chop, chopping up and, uh, you know, s scattergun kind of approach. I wasn't expecting this at all. Um, for one, it's Swedish, but it's in English. Mm -hmm. And it has this Marianne Faithful song playing all over the start. <laughs> um, it had a lot in common, I thought, with um, 
quite sort of a lot of uh, women's emotional dramas from the 70s and I mm. don't say that in a sort of sneery way um, but yeah I think when we did the Scorsese vote there was there were a few for Alice doesn't live here anymore and you know I think there was a thing in the 70s of slightly feminist not in a militant way but just in a sort of um, trying to address women's issues somewhat and this seemed kind of like that yeah I guess so um, it's not a genre particularly uh, knowledgeable about uh, the the female melodramas whatever it's called feminist yeah. of the 70s uh, but I, I can see how you'd kind of glean that although it does open with a, an intriguing quote about a little girl asking a monkey why do you live Why in the zoo? <laughs> yeah. When Why you aren't you happier where you came from? Which is great because you think, I think actually my heart sank a bit when I read that quote. I thought, it's a bit on the nose, isn't it? But then brilliantly yeah. it cuts to footage of a chimp just nodding at the camera yeah. with quite a sort of, the look in its eyes, obviously they've just managed to find an appropriate clip, but the look in his eyes does seem to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I live here? And for the next sort of 15 minutes you do have these sections uh, zoo zoo action <laughs> being cut in so you do have this there is this almost like um i don't want to say experimental but there's a an intriguing way of throwing yeah. images in i think it's peppered with enough stuff to tell you if you are worried that this is going to be heartburn or kramer versus kramer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> keep watching there's something else that's going to be coming up yeah, no, it's um, again. You know, it's the first time I saw it, and I, I just loved this. This, this was so much yeah. fun. Like yeah. it was hilarious. I mean, it's very intelligently done as well. It's it, it does that wonderful thing of elevating smuttiness to a to a to a higher level. <laughs> um, but but everyone just seems to play it quite seriously. Just and enough. I mean, there's there's a very fine balance there um, where. It could have gone into sort of a mere Costa Rica territory, which is just like balls out nutty. Mm. Because there is a there's a very large part of the film is based around, well, I suppose it would have been Yugoslavian people of that time. Um, but you have guys like uh, I think it's called Oscar Persson, who yeah. is a very famous Swedish actor, who is in a brilliant uh, adaptation of. I don't know if people know uh, Hunger by Newt Thompson. It's a, a sort of a precursor to existentialism. And it, I saw him in that. It's an amazing performance. But to see him here as this absolutely deranged psychiatrist or whatever he is. I'm yeah, like, he's, he's kind of a psychiatrist. The weird thing is, I remember, I, I wasn't really familiar with him, but I recognised his name from a kind of late night film that was on a long time ago when I was at college. And he looked exactly like the guy who owned the chip shop <laughs> near to where we lived. This is back then. In this, um, this was a film from the early seventies, so he had darker hair and a little a little goatee beard. But we remembered the name because that's how that's why we refer to the Happy Fryer. Uh, <laughs> but he is great. Um, I know what you're saying um, because I've, I've said to you a few times I'm not a fan of Wes Anderson. Mm. It's a little too arch that kind of humour in a mm. way that let's say I'm sure they've been compared before. But David Lynch tends to managed to not really put it all in your face there's still something else going on there and this felt a bit like that it's it's like that Wes Anderson oddness but without being there's something underplayed underplayed that's the phrase yeah, yeah. underplayed because yeah. um, like I say you could you could tune into this and mistake it for a fairly conventional you know 
uh, woman on the edge of a... No, I can't say woman on the edge of a... <laughs> <laughs> you could mistake it for a fairly conventional woman's... A Shirley Valentine kind of a yeah. setup. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, there are all those things, like, say, cutting in the shots of the chimp, let you know that there's something else going on here. But it is how subtle... Um, a lot of the sort of odd humour with the children in it. Uh, I think the idea is she's got two wonderful kids, really, hasn't she? Um, mm. But the girl in it's great, isn't she? What, she's about 10 or 11, but there's a great bit when the mom's gone away from home for a bit and she answers the phone and says, Hello, Cookie Jordan, temporary homemaker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And she's precocious, but actually not a... not a, Usually you'd want to throttle precocious kids. Yeah. But here she's actually quite charming. And the bit. father's, like, totally yeah. happy with all yeah, that. Yeah, you know? He's really settled in because... The, um, He's a rich businessman, isn't he? Yeah, who spends a lot of time away from home, hence... Um, oh God! What's her name? Uh, Marilyn. Marilyn Jordan. Yeah. Hence her being a little bit miffed at being ignored. I guess. Yeah, I guess she says she, um, she feels she's got what a lot of other women either would want or what they're presented as having wanted. Because the, the first kind of scene in this is her at this um, a sort of expo for fur coats, isn't it? And the guy emceeing that is great, isn't he? Because mm. it feels quite verite, doesn't it? It feels like he's a genuine you know, um, businessman who's not actually very good at presenting jokey material mm. <laughs> but he's been given this script to do uh, we should talk he's like a head teacher <laughs> or something like. <laughs> but yeah, the biggest concern for these women there is how do I stop my links from shedding and the guy's trying to sort of play it down but eventually says there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> but does it what, the coat's about £100,000? £100,000 and does yeah. he say oh, he, he, he says something about oh, you always leave some on uh, your man's oh, on arm on your husband's <laughs> arm, like you're walking <laughs> arm in arm, yeah <laughs> And that's a good thing with it, because you could dislike this main character of Marilyn Jordan, because she seems to be fully into that. And especially because the thing we alluded to in the introduction, there's a great scene when she tries to poison the family dog, <coughs> but talks to it, doesn't she? She says, well, I'm poisoning it, but it's your decision if you drink it. You, you meant to be an intelligent yes. animal. <laughs> the dog does look at her and then goes off, comes back up for a moment before she says, it's your decision, then it goes off again. It's very well done because it's a basset hound as yes. well, so it's so quite it emotive. Because right? yeah. yeah. it, it, it is very dark, that moment. And you, um, I was well, like, oh, don't, I don't really want to see the dog die. But <laughs> well, the thing is, famously, you don't kill dogs in films because no. it absolutely puts people off it, in the film at all, let alone having the sort of person who's ostensibly the hero <laughs> do it. Um, so yeah, the humour in this really worked well. But mm. then, yeah, d d I mean, were you familiar with what this film was going to be about at all before you watched it? No idea. Right. I watched it completely cold, fortunately. Good. Well, um, sadly, our listeners won't if they do pursue it. <laughs> but yeah, this 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 turn halfway through at um, airport security. Yeah. So um, basically, the husband's going to receive her in Brazil. Um, she decides to go along with him because two taxis were ordered at the same time. She thinks oh, it's serendipitous. Fantastic taxi driver. The the campus black American <laughs> taxi in driver Sweden. in Sweden. <laughs> I think I, I wrote down what he says. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it is now. Have all the time in the world, honey. The media's <laughs> running. <laughs> um, but anyway, she gets to airport security and she has got the biggest pair of gardening shears you've ever seen in her bag. And she kicks up a little bit of fuss but about like this. Like Exorcist 3. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So she gets taken away and searched and misses her flight. But while she's being searched, um, another woman from Yugoslavia is coming the other way and she gives her something to hide. Yeah, is it the, the gold or something? Mm, it doesn't matter. Trinkets. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. 
and she can't be discovered with basically yeah and it just that there is like she's previously said oh it's serendipitous that these two taxis have turned up but it becomes serendipitous that she meets this gypsy woman who then she becomes part of embroiled within this um immigrant community of Yugoslav and yeah, workers. Yeah, it's pretty much dragged me to hell after that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Although, Although we have all, met it's... one of the characters earlier on because the family buy a dog off him. Yes. The, the Montenegro, Montenegro of the title. Montenegro of the title, yeah, as the zookeeper. Um, but no, that community is great. Um, I suppose, actually this is weird, going back to what we were saying at the beginning about Channel 4 is now known for lousy reality shows and things. One of theirs, which has been very successful but very contentious, is My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, which has been oh, accused yeah. of things like uh, cultural tourism and, you know, sneering at people who don't do things the same as you. This, I suppose you could charge that, level those kind of charges at it, but I never really felt that, you know. Maybe it's not for me to say because I'm not, I'm not the community being represented, but I think the idea very much was this, the film has spent a lot of time talking about how empty and valueless... Marilyn's life and that whole kind of world is having achieved all of that success and yeah the whole idea is when she's in this gypsy community where yeah, they do do bizarre things like have fight duels with shovels <laughs> with, with no kid oh, the, gloves there's, um, when she first arrived there they, they have to take a guy oh, to yes, hospital because he's got a the, knife in his head yes, like in his forehead right through his forehead <laughs> and look beautifully seen when they get to the, um, um, the hospital they actually stop everything so that everyone can have a big family <laughs> shot taken together <laughs> And the guy with the, the knife smiling. Yeah. This is, uh, He's totally conscious, isn't he, through it all? Yeah. He deserved it because yeah, he cheated at cards or something, didn't he? <laughs> but there is that, yeah, there's that sort of uh, celebration of revelry and down-to-earthness. I, I, I'm guessing um, uh, Dusan Makaviev. Makaviev? I'll go with your pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is um, probably from the Balkans and he... I've not seen W.R. Mission the Organism or his other films, but I, I guess there's a there's a certain atmosphere that you think of Balkan movies or you think of Gypsy movies. Generally, you think of Costa Rica. And like I said before, there is something like that, but it doesn't go as over the top as those. I no. think there is something quite like crazy. There's a there's a absolute celebration of life. Yeah, um, but it, it's that celebrate the purity of life in a way that anything goes and like we we don't mind with that's fine which, which goes back to them rock almost isn't yeah it? you know yeah. it's about um really throwing off your shackles and just doing what you fancy because it's not but even it does like seem a much more appealing world than hers doesn't it yeah because her her world is pretty odd and surreal as well hmm. but it's it's that kind of almost gen generation x boredness kind of surreal which is kind of some issues I had with Cosmopolis which we saw yeah. recently because it feels quite dated to me that now that idea of um, the the bourgeois having this particular kind yeah. of lifestyle which you know they create they create their own like surreal situations but what what they did in this film they've they've balanced it much much more coherently as absolutely yeah. I mean one of the outstanding things with this is that you spend the first half of the film in her world mm. And just seems such a normal film almost. Although we have been saying there are things that let you know keep with this because something else is going to happen. But it that's seems very like much for the audience, yeah. though, isn't it? You know, it seems such a completely different film that it turns into midway through. Again, yeah, going back to kind of David Lynch or Aki Karismaki, I guess. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a yeah, great yeah. comparison. The poster for this, uh, which I've seen, is her on the dance floor. It's a scene from quite close to the end when 
there's there's a, the notorious scene which we'll come to in a moment, but she's on the dance floor and she's absolutely all over Montenegro. Um, this, same, this seems like the guy who's going to free up her passions. I think he's standing there while she's wrapped her, all of her limbs around him on the dance floor, and it looks like it should be an iconic image, a bit like Officer and a Gentleman or something like this. Um, a brilliant thing with this is that it doesn't fall into that trap of she's got away from that and now she's found the man she loves, even though that's the title of the film. Mm. Yeah, there, there, there's some subversion. They do something. Play. They do something else entirely with it. Yes, yeah, because also a, a par parallel with that is what's happening to her husband and the psychiatrist and and the family and the whole family. Yeah, yeah we've not mentioned the granddad yet. Have no, we, oh with his, God, yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> he's got one of the best lines at the beginning where um, they're on their trip to the zoo and uh, Montenegro and another zookeeper come out and feed. The uh, the monkeys and he said the granddad it cuts to him he said they feed these monkeys oranges and bananas why don't you feed me like that <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's a cracking character though isn't he's he? brilliant he's very much in the mold of like Lionel Jeffries in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yes yes yeah um, but yeah the the family a bit I think he's the dad's dad isn't he yes he's, um, and Marilyn's reluctant to look after him but has to endure his eccentricities. And he's looking for a new wife, even though he's 84. <laughs> and he's planning to live to his 101, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love the fact that, yeah, Marilyn goes off on... He's ready to leave with her husband on the airplane and he's ready for this the granddad who she doesn't trust at all and with these two prepubescent kids who then run this sort of dating service with him, which is a great little subplot. It's great to keep coming back to that while they're dancing around to um, lesser-known ABBA songs. <laughs> I was going to say, is that ABBA? Yeah, that's what it it's was. It's only yeah. natural. That's oh, okay, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, you're the you're the other. I'm, I'm the yeah, the, the other man. <laughs> so it is time to discuss the dildo on a tank. It's quite unexpected. Oh <laughs> uh, well, there's a weird kind of beautiful eroticism to it though, because the girl who is about on, to the, be on the receiving end, yeah. yeah, is you see her earlier on, and she's quite you know she's down from the hills kind of thing and well she's, they make her look very drab don't they they do yeah. and then they turn her in they call her they give her a backstory. well um, Alex who runs this club where it's all being set is called the Zanzibar the Zanzibar yeah. um, he calls her the, the flower from the south is it yeah she's got a kind of very cheap Carmen Miranda outfit yeah. with lots of crepe paper kind of he discovered so. her in Bora Bora with 11 <laughs> yes. 11 brothers and sisters or something and she performs this like amazingly like I don't know. It's quite erotic dance, but it's it's not over sexual in in a sort of oh no. There's so much humour because when people were describing this to me when I was fourteen or whatever, I was thinking this is just going to be filth. But it's done with such a sense of humour to it. Uh, it I'm going to say it's not exploitative. It looks no. like everyone's quite sort of chilled about it, and. Um, Obviously, when you hear these things, you when you hear these things as a teenager, you think you're actually going to see, yeah, <laughs> penetration. But you don't. It's kind of no. it's suggested, isn't it? You don't see it. I think it's just really funny. Yeah, it's it really is funny. very, and very it is that, Yeah, it is quite erotic as well. It is though. I think there's there's uh, some kind of weird. The, I think what basically Makaveyev <laughs> um, uh, relishes is that sexual openness or brings sexual freedom it opens up your life it's like a yeah. celebration of it and there are indeed fireworks it, I think around that they scene, are though, there yeah. are yeah there's a lot of cuts to 
mouths pouting, her yes. mouth pouting and yeah. stuff, and you know, it's all before quite... the forklift truck. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did write that down. Yes. Because I thought that the first thing when I saw the dildo tank, I thought of extra. You know when they has the little <laughs> toy, the toy yeah, tank yes. in there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's notorious for that scene, but kind of unfairly. I think I think it's out of context how people probably describe it. Yeah, obviously, th- I'm hearing this from a bunch of guys who were. <laughs> 14 at the time so that's all they're going to pick up from it they're not going to say 14 oh, inch black and white tellies they're not, they're, yeah they're not going to say this was such a great feminist movie <laughs> it really dealt with the problems of that's the, what that they were thinking and, deep yeah, inside deep in, well uh, uh, one of those one of those guys will have died actually, <laughs> yes, uh, he's made some lifestyle choices since <laughs> um, and the very end of this what did you think of that which we won't spoil. But we're not going to spoil. Yeah. Um, I was quite shocked by it. Mm. I was expecting something to happen after the end credits. I guess you couldn't have. Yeah, um, it's a bit tough to discuss without describing what happens. But um, given how the film has gone, and like I say, I think it's done a really brilliant job of not kowtowing to any conventions of. Yeah, this could have just been pitched as a Shirley Valentine, even though it predates it. But, you know, a bored housewife goes off and has a much more exciting time living in a more realistic kind of community. To have, have her come back and say, I've, I've learned my lesson or whatever, or we, we, there's going to be a compromise with her husband, wouldn't have been right. No. However, it does feel a bit sloppy how it's done, I think. It felt yeah. like it maybe, maybe was even done in post-production as a... I know what you mean, but in retrospect, I think... I think it is a bit of a like nail in the coffin, a sort of like well, just take it, take it or leave it kind of thing. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't mind. In, in retrospect, I I quite like it. When I when I watched it last night, I was a bit like, what, really? Um, you just have to watch it to see. I think. So you will be checking out WR now. Oh, I want to go through everything he's done. Yeah, I'm no, like, that's sweet. One he did, yeah, sweet. Season. Was it Sweet Life or Sweet Movie? Sweet Movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. which sounds. Yeah, it'll be too long to go into that now. But that <laughs> sounds pretty special. No, I'm. I've got my eyes on the Criterion uh, disc of uh, WR. It's always like twenty odd quid, like all Criterion stuff. But uh, I'm definitely going to buy that when I move to France. So, little girl, do you have any experience? I spent last summer in Dubrovnik. Fucking foreigners for learning good English and manners. Uh-huh. So um, here's our our second batch of listener interactions about the Red Triangle season. Yeah, from those few lucky few who <laughs> who can recall. Dave Hall. Oh yes, first time I saw Jubilee, and I think scum, or maybe not. Looking at the films listed, weird. I saw the Antonio Antonioni though identification of a woman. Ampiotti, which is amazing. I had an old Albertelli in my room, and these and other Channel 4 delights were viewed. The grimness of Piotti stands out, so squalid, unlike anything else I'd seen. I had no idea what to make of Jubilee, but enjoyed the extremity. What a great time for late night viewing. There was BBC Two's Film Club as well, which usually had some Euro delights. Watched Identification again very recently. Amazing electronic score from John Fox, etc. Um. Yeah, because Dave got in touch through Facebook, so there was a, the reason that was a bit choppy was there was some um, dialogue inter- between yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, because yeah, I I did put a link to the um, the Wikipedia entry on the Red Triangle, and a lot of people seem to think there was um, there was Jarman in there, but as we say, Channel Four in those early days were known for just showing quite 
out there, art, smut, whatever, whatever you want to call it, absolutely <laughs> it was. Um, so I don't know, I'm not sure if there was any, um, but certainly Jarman was on an awful lot. Um, Unsurprisingly. Yeah, but um, I've actually got another, another one to add to this, because I was uh, with my friend um, Steve the other day, and I said, do you remember anything about the Red Triangle? He said, oh yeah, yeah, he said, uh, everyone in the schoolyard was on about it, and um, I, I got home, I got my little TV, got it really turned down so my parents couldn't hear it, and I was getting ready for the most absolutely mindless smut I'd ever seen. <laughs> I turned on, and it was a film about two Brazilian um, ch uh, street children, and one of them got raped. <laughs> that wasn't his bag then. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, which would have been Piote. I mean, uh, yeah. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. No, I've been trying to get hold of it, but it's, it's quite difficult to get a hold of. Yeah. It's expensive. Okay, cheers for that, Dave. Uh, Joe Ivory. I have two abiding memories of the Red Triangle, neither of which are of the films themselves. The first, I remember expecting to see the kind of mind-blowing filth they kept behind the darkened doors of the adult bookstore that used to be on Summer Row in Birmingham. The second, I remember spending long hours waiting for the mind-blowing filth and being crushed with disappointment when it didn't arrive. Before the Red Triangle series, the smuttiest film I'd ever seen was The Bitch. After the Red Triangle series, it still was. <laughs> the bitch wasn't in that series, though, sad. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Is that uh, Joe Collins? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it. She's the bitch, oh, ah, ha, ha. God save the man who finds the bitch. She's like a wicked, wicked witch. <laughs> what? Have you never seen it? No, no, I haven't. Oh, it's, it's something else. <laughs> Uh, Michael Shaw, I remember the Red Triangle films. I would have been an unworldly 18 when Channel 4 came up with this splendid idea, and I remember it was the signpost of smut in pre-internet days. I had a black and white 14-incher in my bedroom and certainly watched quite a few. Sadly, looking at the Wikipedia entry, I don't really remember any specific films. I always had it in my mind that Sebastian, hilariously identified as Horsecock in a game of charades <laughs> many years ago... <laughs> <laughs> was part of the series but it seems not um, <laughs> I know Michael and um, Marnie um, yeah. and their families I can't imagine who would have picked that at Christmas thanks for that Mike and finally rounding off uh, Chris Salt Red Triangle Memory not a film but staying up late for Channel 4 Naked Yoga you know what's not really actually very sexy Naked Yoga that's how we start the shows usually yeah. get ourselves then but <laughs> yeah thank god it's that you can't watch us so. cheers for that Chris um, actually going back to Michael's uh, thing about Sebastian do you know that clip no alright um, it's a clip they always show but it's a bunch of guys running around a guy lying on the floor but they have uh, huge outsized dildos that they're rubbing over him and then he gets splattered in kind of yoghurt Oh right! Oh no! I think I have seen it's, that. It's, you know, it's yeah, meant to be a performance yeah. kind of piece. Um, I think when Jarman died uh, in what the mid nineties, they didn't do that to his corpse. Yeah, no, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. They had a bit of a Jarman all nighter on Channel Four, so it started at about midnight and went through till five in the morning or something. The thing is, it was immediately followed by Scooby Doo. <laughs> I think someone wrote to Channel 4 and complained that their kid had got up early to watch Scooby-Doo <laughs> <laughs> and had got 20 minutes of um, horsecock as it's hilariously identified in a game of charades. <laughs> oh, Channel 4. Anyway, are you ready for the uh, the last one? Oh, yeah. I'm, uh... Are you ready to complete the triangle? 
Yeah, actually, yeah, there's, I forgot, yeah, there's three sides to a triangle, and there's three sides to every Midnight Video episode. Except for the time we did four films. Episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's always an exception. Punk is not sexual. It's just aggression. 10-4-0, buddies. Destroy. Kill all hippies. I'm not talking at you. I'm talking to you. That's 10-4. James Bond pre-credit sequences are a montage of glamour and action. Perhaps only Dennis Hopper would ease audiences into a film by having its hero plough his truck into a bus full of school children before the movie's title had even appeared. 1980's Out of the Blue follows Hopper's wife and especially their troubled daughter, CB, Linda Manns, as they cope with the aftermath of this accident. With her father in jail, her heroes Elvis and Sid Vicious dead, and her mom enjoying complex friendships with several local men, CB's not the most mellow of teenagers. But when Dad gets out, everything's going to be just fine, right? So, for some weird reason, uh, um, I don't know whether I was getting this confused with the last movie, or I just thought Hopper was... Uh, portrayed in such a way from that period as like he's a he's a bit of a he looks a drug he's a hot ticket hot ticket no no that's not right is it um, you, you, you want to wash your hands of him you want to be away <laughs> yeah. from him oh god I'm a, well I'm not a pariah um, not quite but um, yeah in my mind I, I always thought Out of the Blue was a real flop um, well possibly kind of maybe critically at the time financially perhaps and it was Banned in the UK, BBFC well, refused to give it. A obviously, this is this, this is part of the um, the Red Triangle season. Yeah, yeah, what I read was it was always cut in the UK or banned outright. But then they had this version was shown on TV. Oh right, um, okay. possibly one of those weird things about classification that you know mm. couldn't be released in cinemas, but somehow <laughs> things work a bit differently on TV. Um, Certainly then. Anyway. This, yeah, Themrock was the first film shown in the season. I think this was the penultimate one. Um, I'm quite glad we're finishing the show on this because it has a real kind of end of the line apocalyptic feel to it. Kill uh, all hippies. Kill all hippies, yeah. <laughs> I think she inspired the um, Primal, Primal Scream song, yeah. Well, they need inspiration, don't they? <laughs> Bloody right. <laughs> Maybe we should listen to some Rolling Stones songs once. <laughs> or um, Neil Young. Yeah, well, yeah. When I uh, when I got in last night, I saw you posted up the Neil Young song on your uh, Facebook account. So, and you said you were quite taken with it. Well, you um, said you loved it. Yeah, no, yeah. massively. I, I, I'm surprised because you've been quite anti Dylan, and I'm not putting them brackets in the all, But <laughs> I thought Neil Young would have a similar kind of short shrift with you. No, no, not at all. I've, I, I'm, I like, I like Neil Young's voice. I, I actually prefer all of Neil Young's way more country stuff than when he goes a bit more crazy horse rocky. Or was it Trans? What's that album he did with all the vocoders? Have you heard that? No, he I went a bit wonky in the uh, Yeah, I probably like that then. I like <laughs> that was the first stuff I ever heard by him. Oh, uh, because I know like Harvest like <laughs> yeah. was a big thing for my dad and Harvest Moon. I just moved to London when Harvest Moon came out, or a year after, and so my dad played that loads. I really love those. Um, so listening to this, and I love Dead Man soundtrack as well, which is quite abstract guitar stuff, but there's a beautiful melancholy to it, and. Um, yeah, obviously Dennis Hopper had the same idea because I can't remember what the original title was going to be of this. It was something quite obvious that mm. it shouldn't have been. Right. And he'd heard, he heard Out of the Blue by, uh, was it Hey Hey My My? Hey, my that's my, the hey, title, hey. but yeah, Out yeah. of the Blue's the refrain through it, yeah. And yeah, well, good on you, Hopper, because that's a, <laughs> a brilliant choice because the ref well, the refrain is Out of the Blue and Into the Black, and that. Pers that 
encapsulates the film. It's, it's an extraordinary piece of work. Um, yeah, I for some reason in my mind, I thought it was a big flop and it was going to be a big mess. Um, it's actually really gripping and um, just crammed crammed to the rafters full of emotions and just sorrow the whole film is so sorrowful uh, it reminded me a little bit of something like um, oh, what's it called Nil by Mouth yes. Gary Oldman's film it has a similar kind of thing there's a very stark very stark but very um, it's there's, there's something so human about it something that everyone can relate to even if you haven't gone through those emotions yourselves personally or those experiences but you can't help but get involved with the characters and yeah I mean, <laughs> I'm very glad that we're finishing on this yes. if we started the show with this <laughs> and you watch this after passing your driving test Yes, but you told me actually, because <laughs> yes. I think I said I watched Them Rock first. And you said, "Well, you better save Out of the Blue," and I'm very glad because even though you mentioned it in the description, that that is quite an opening to a film. It's all right. We're getting into specifics. Um, yeah, the opening of this, the pre-credits, is the um, you know Dennis in the truck with uh, I don't know if it is Linda Mance because it might be another actress because she's meant to be much younger, isn't she? In the clown makeup, I it's think her, it is her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dennis for one reason or another not paying attention ploughs into this school bus and it's quite the wonderful thing with it when I say wonderful the, the bit that really nails it is you do just get a brief look at the kids inside knowing what's going to happen and looking away but then it cuts and it cuts to Linda Mann's several years later waking up in bed and it's obviously a, a bad memory for her a terrible memory for her <laughs> you don't actually see the carnage till sometime later when you've sort of forgotten about it and you've got to know the characters and you're willing to maybe not forgive them but some meet them halfway somewhere on this um, and then when you get that flashback and you actually see the whole thing in slow motion and it's you know uh, you know it's really harrowing to watch and the whole film is yeah stark harrowing I'm going to use all of those kind of words for yeah. it um, weirdly in common with Montenegro which could have been just like a dozen other films you've seen about a disaffected housewife this could have been like a dozen other films you've seen about you know, kids from the wrong side of the tracks and you know, life doesn't get me and all this kind of stuff. Mm. There's something, yeah, as you said, so sincere about this though. You know, I think I, if they made other choices with, certainly with Linda Manns who's brilliant in it, Dennis Hopper who's not a showy director but that's what's quite brilliant about it. I think that's the, what the, really works. Yeah, yeah, I think the temptation with any other filmmaker, not any, a lot of other filmmakers would have been to really make something. You know, stop everything and you know do something very showy the fact that this is quite mundane almost you know yeah the really brings everything home I very I, I found it really similar in some ways I mean I don't know I've, I've got a weird convoluted way of explaining this but um, uh, there's a number of scenes where uh, CB Linda Manzi's character is with her friends and stuff it really reminded me of Dazed and Confused Richard mm. Linklater's film um, but obviously nothing like that sort of um, remembrance and celebration of a time that we used to have as kids it was it was similar in that feel and maybe the era 
but there is also something of the sort of todzalance about it. The yeah. really, it's not pulling its punches. No, Sorry to use such a cliche. But no, it's um, not. It's but it's also actually quite humourless. There's mm. like Zalance has always got a very dark vein of humour running through his films, mm. and you just have to go with it. Um, Whereas with this, there was not any sort of light at the end of the tunnel. No, I it's, found. it's it's absolutely unflinching. It's and a bit like how I would hope uh, that Paul Schrader movie we watched. Uh, oh, light, uh, of day. light of day, yeah. There is something similar there in the in the setup. You know, the blue collar workers and nothing's going right. But whereas that felt like a TV, not even a TV special. Yeah, was, yeah. that was just very plain Jane. This, the fact that it is so stark and um, devoid of any romanticism at all worked absolutely in its favour and the fact you do have that again that Neil Young song is used brilliantly yeah. through it because it is if you we'll, we'll probably play it at some point during the show I'm sure but that just yeah it does have such a maudlin quality and, and to it you know um, the way he also, sings as well like, yeah his, his voice is really brilliant that, yeah. doesn't it yeah, yeah. but um, yeah Hopper Hopper doesn't well he's in it at the beginning but he doesn't really appear Fully till about halfway through. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about him first. I mean, he does a really good job, I think. Again, I mean, when, when was Mad Dog Morgan? Probably only a few years before. This. 76, I think, yeah. And I'm sure everyone's seen the footage of him doing Apocalypse Now. <laughs> um, I've not read a great deal about what mental state he was in doing this. And I know he was drafted in as director rather than just um, star or co star quite late in the day. Um, his performance is really brilliant, though. It's there's something really. Uh, it reminded me of bearing of, something. I think in some yeah. ways he's like trying to say, look, <clears throat> because his character is just come out of prison for this terrible atrocity that he mm. committed. Um, five years, I think he served, mm-hmm. didn't he? So there's like a welcoming party by like close, close members of the family or friends or whatever, and then one guy turns up who was the father of one of the victims. And he has this incredible scene where he just confronts him and Hopper is so aware of what he's done, but absolutely aware at the same time of his life going nowhere. He's got nothing going for him. He, and at this point, you don't know some of the other yes, history, yeah. which yeah. we find out later on. But at this point, it's like he's, he's like a knowing martyr, but... He's, he he is actually like not a nice person. You know? Yeah, I mean that's a great scene because it is you can absolutely identify with the father of this child has been killed and you know yeah who wouldn't? But then at the same time Hopper, you kind of realize there's an inarticulateness yeah. about him. Appropriately, I can't even come up with the right word. Um, I was going to say this describes us perfectly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Imperfectly. Um, who obviously would do anything in the world for that to not happen, but is aware that there's nothing he can do about it. And it is this is just going to be something, even though he's come out of jail, this is going to be the rest of his life, isn't he? He's, this, is, this kind of compounds everything that's wrong with his existence and his family's existence. And it affects him throughout the film. Yeah, know? I mean, I'm going to say it's... All right, Frank Booth in Blue Velvet's absolute genius, but this is probably one of his most round the hat, um, you know, a, across the board great pieces of acting from him rather than just him being a, a, a you know a crazy ass you know yeah and I think up. when you take on board the fact that he was directing it at the same time which you know I've heard is like no mean feat I was listening back to some old film programs um, Radio 4 show yeah. recently and uh, there was an interview with Christoph Waltz who 
is in Glorious Bastards, you know, I'm sure people know him. And uh, he's already made a film and he's going to make another. And at one point, Franz Singerstock says, And are you going to be acting? And he says, No, no, I, ca I can't go in front of the camera and behind it. It's impossible. She said, But people do it. And he said, Well, that still doesn't mean it's impossible. <laughs> and I kind of, yeah, there is like a respect that I think you've got to have for uh, people who choose to do that. But I think when they choose to make a film like this as well, there's <laughs> there's another level of respect that you've got yeah, to bestow upon. Because I guess usually if the guy directing is starring in it as well they're usually the main guy or they've given themselves a very small cameo in it you know um, and weirdly Hopper here is a significant character but he's by no means um, no, by you know Linda Manns is the star of this you know yeah. absolutely but even her mom is uh, has a much more a sort of bigger role in it isn't she a more significant certainly more screen time yeah, yeah. Um, Linda Manns what did you think of her? I mean, what I think she was actually about twenty when she did this, but she's playing a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, she? very convincingly. <laughs> she reminded me. I recently watched uh, my mate Ben, who we both used to work with, let me breaking away the mm -hmm. cycling film. She is a spitting oh, wow. image of yeah. Jackie Earl Haley, who went on to play Rorschach in Watchmen in that movie in uh, Breaking Away, which Bloody was hell. like. 80, is this the Kevin? 80? No, it's not. It's Kevin Costner, isn't it? No, or no, it? no. It's Dennis Quaid. Den All right, I've got the wrong one. Yeah. yeah uh, Kevin Bacon did that. It's Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is like a small town in Idaho. Um, cycling movie, great film, anyway. But um, she's a spitting image of Rorschach as as a in, in as a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's astonishing. I mean, it, it's kind of powerhouse performance I mean there's there's a lot on display there she's she's holding I the don't film mean together physically like. no 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 <laughs> um, she's holding the film together she's absolutely she's in practically every scene isn't she um, a thing I'll say with her is often her acting isn't 100% convincing and it's something I've said a few times and it is, it's not a very original observation often people who aren't great actors are good at playing people who are obviously putting on a front and the obvious examples are like Bowie and Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. Even Lazenby in Majesty's Secret Service. The fact that he's not great at playing James Bond suggests that that whole machismo thing is something he's putting on and really he'd like to get married to Diana Rigg. And <laughs> it, that's why it's one of the best James Bond films. <coughs> yeah. Um, and her in this, uh, her obsession is Elvis, isn't she? Isn't it? And she's. There's there are a lot of scenes at the beginning when she's on her own and uh, with her little tape deck, isn't it? And. Um, a lot of her delivery is a little bit stilted. I'm not sure if that's her doing brilliant acting or if it is just she's brilliant for that part, that she does seem like a lot of this is... Because she's very boisterous, isn't she? She's a very tomboy character and she's, you know... Uh, she's <laughs> she's trouble for everyone she Well, meets. she's obsessed with punk. Like yeah. her, her idols are like Sid Vicious and the Sex Pistols and mm -hmm. stuff. And she's she's sort of in mourning for them and like for Elvis and yeah any counterculture figure exactly, and everyone yeah. any any authority figure she meets she's got an issue with it's very confrontational but throughout it there are lots of scenes and they're actually done with some subtlety that suggests she's much younger than 15 in fact you know she's still got the teddy bear that's um, right yeah there are a few f scenes when she sucks her thumb as well yeah oh one in particular which is quite harrowing well, yeah, she goes off. Um, she runs away, doesn't she? She runs away, Brace. Yeah, leaves town on the back of a pickup truck, ends up in the city, and uh, winds up drumming on stage with some. Well, we call them a punk band. 
Oh, they are. They're a Canadian because this yeah. was all shot in Canadian. A Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, it's a Canadian. <laughs> in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and she ends up like yeah playing a little end of uh, end of the track yeah. solo. Yeah. But then, well, she picks up with a taxi driver, doesn't she? Is kind of a scuzzball and um, winds back in. I'm not. It's just like a Lou Reed song, really. You're not quite <laughs> sure who uh, transsexual hookers and whatnot going on there. It's but a weird uh, whorehouse kind of. But I think she goes back on the uh, basis she's going to get some dope. I'd imagine she's probably smoked some by now anyway, but she might just be putting that front up again. No, no, but she has it earlier she, in the film. Though. Yeah, okay. she has like a bit. Of as soon as she has a hit of this, she just rolls over and sucks her thumb. And again, you know, I think another director would have really gone to town on that, but it's done with a lot of subtlety. Was there ever a point when you found it just really obnoxious? Yes, but not. It didn't worry me. It wasn't like watching the first Willy Wonka movie and I just wanted no no strangely I, I didn't find <laughs> oh you know like uh, I'm trying to think it's hard to find an equivalent where sorry Dennis Hopper's Willy Wonka would have been amazing <laughs> <laughs> but you just think of those kids how they're written in Roald Dahl's book and mm. how they're portrayed in that first film yeah brilliantly done like they're all little bastards absolute little bastards yeah. and she could easily have been an amalgamation of Mike TV and Veruca Salt and Beauregard and she is this kind of uh, mishmash of them but you're seeing everything that's affected her it, it, and it's 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 drip fed to you you know nothing's just on a plate yeah there's a tiny little bit at the beginning where when she's made up as a clown and they're going to school yeah, the, the, and the just before the of, yeah. and I did think oh wow did that happen <laughs> Oh, you thought it might have been a there's imagined. A, well, no, there's like a there's there's an incident that happens just it, and it's a split second, and I thought, oh, I wonder if this is going to have any bearing on the movie, and it turns out it did. I don't yes. know whether that's, that's just I noticed it because ultimately, I don't know. Should we give it away? Um, is it obvious? Well, let's talk around it and we decide. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, the red triangle content of this because it's it's one scene in particular, isn't it? I think I don't think there was too much. But there's something towards the end which you can yeah. imagine people going, "Oh, oh, yes." Uh, <laughs> Holy! Which again, as with the other two films, isn't graphic, but it's just the idea of it is very um, dicey. Um, but it's absolutely essential to the film, isn't it? Oh, it's remarkable. I mean, the ending is like I, I, the last five minutes like took my breath away. Mm. Really, and uh, considering it's an, a 1981 film, and so in those intervening 30 years there's not many films that have come close to to doing something as potent as yeah. that still it's, it's absolutely remarkable mm. well yeah we've said it with the other films what did you think of the ending of this <laughs> I mean, you kind of just said but yeah uh, no it, it's out of all the films we've watched this yeah. is the, the the most impressive and and, you and, and the it's other the film two, <laughs> and I love the other two but yeah. you really needed it with this I think mm. um I think if this had petered out, like, like you said, um, Themrock uh, did. Themrock did, yeah. and Montenegro was a little bit lacking in yeah. some ways. This just doesn't. It doesn't hold back. Better to burn out than to fade away. <laughs> out of the blue into the black. Actually, that's the one bad scene in it. I think is when she's got the girl who's been giving her a bit of grief at school. Although God knows, you know, she's been uh, provoked into it, and um, she puts the ice cream over her face. She says, "I painted you blue." 
And if you don't go away, I'm going to take you out of the blue and into the black. And then she puts the Neil song, the Neil Young song on, and it's so. Ooh, that is a terrible but whilst moment. that's something I really did like though, because she had this. Um, tape player with her all the time mm. and there'd be incidental music playing over the soundtrack and then her music over the top it's yeah. like you get this really mishmash I mean there's a lot of sort of like um, obvious metaphors going on like when Hopper comes out of jail he works on a rubbish tip oh, yeah I see and we've not discussed all of that yeah, that's brilliant isn't it yeah it's fantastic you bring know, back memories of Jonathan Livingston Seagull yeah, for you. yeah. <laughs> in some ways yeah <laughs> But I do love that. I love that fact that... Because this also, you know, when you said, like, she goes into the city, there's mm. a there's a lost quality to this, that there's no... Uh, you can't put this down as being anywhere in America. It yeah, could be representative just, of anywhere. It's getting out of the sticks. and mm. um, It's um, it's an absolutely remarkable film. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think you maybe are getting it mixed up with last movie in terms of the flop and the critical yes sort of, yeah, I'm not, I think so I'm, I'm not saying it did brilliantly and got load of acclaim the weird thing is the first time I heard of this was um, at the end of the 80s all of the critics were doing their best films and like uh, Raging Bull was really sweeping the board you know everyone was going on about how great that is and this crept in this was something that seemed to have been reassessed quite a bit I'm not sure what its reputation is now I mean I only watched it um uh, I watched it about a year ago, and I was very pleased to be doing it again for this. You know, I think when we knew we were doing the Red Triangle, I thought we had to get that in, and it's great to get some Dennis Hopper in before the end, isn't it? You know? Totally. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I'd recommend all three of the films tonight. They're all absolutely fantastic. Yeah, un- unmissable, I think. Actually. Weirdly, the Red Triangle has uh, has united them. <laughs> Each corner. I'm a motherfucking asshole. You know that? I did five fucking years. You know, in prison. And there were a lot of other kids in there besides your son. Now, am I going to have to meet every fucking asshole like you, man? Look, I'm an asshole. You see this? You see me? You see that? But I'm not a motherfucking dumb asshole. Because there's enough here for two drinks. Now, you sit down. You sit down and have a drink. So, Midnight Video 39 or MV39, as uh, people might affectionately remember us as. Has left MV. the building. <laughs> it's uh, scarpered. It's Scarpet. We're into the black now. <laughs> yeah, the end of Midnight Video 39 and the end of Midnight Video, hopefully, Volume 1. Because that is it. Well, face to face, this is probably the last time we're going to sit in uh, Jim's offices. Well, it in will be because they're closing it down to uh, get um, do some extensive repairs over the next few months due to asbestos. <laughs> so if. <laughs> 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 Which is charming of the to tell us this. Like, yeah, now if you never hear from us again, you'll know the reason why. However, it's not quite the end because we've had plenty of time to prepare for this, so we have been stockpiling a few little bits and pieces. Yeah, we've got a PS. We got some. Uh, we got some Easter eggs. Plenty of Easter eggs. So no matter how tempting it is to unsubscribe from us on iTunes, don't do that. No, and uh, keep on with you if you've got us through the RSS feed keep at it because little things are going to be popping up all over your uh, laptop desktop yeah. what do they do on twitter can you what's the equivalent of defriending someone on twitter do you just unsubscribe from their unfollow. feed unfollow unfollow don't unfollow us no, keep following no within let's not put a time scale but within the next month you'll be starting to hear some extra bits and pieces that we've got um, put away for a rainy day or a rainy six months actually <laughs> which is quite possible in uh, if you live in britain 
Yes. Yeah, bloody right. <laughs> um, so yeah, just just uh, wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been listening, uh, which will include you. And um, contributing. Absolutely, if you've been contributing. And we're looking forward to doing it again before too long. Okay. What we're about to do now, and we're probably going to be in a sorry state when we do it, is record uh, a video message, which will be going up on Facebook around the time that this goes out. So uh, keep peeled. It'll be on Facebook and on the website yeah. as well. So if if you're not Facebook friendly, uh, then keep checking the website, which is www.midnight-video.com. Also, there'll be links on uh, Twitter, which is at Midnight Video, if you're that way inclined. And yeah, just keep your eyes peeled as well as your ears. Yes. Well, let's not hang about. Let's not outstay a welcome anymore. Okay, thanks very much, everybody. See you soon. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Out of the blue and into the black They give you this, but you pay for that And once you're gone, you can't ever come back When you're out of the blue and into the black Work is finished here, Barbara. I must return to my home. They are waiting for me. Today is the day of light, and I shall remain in each of you like a faint yet eternal glow. We are going back to the sacred land of Tibet, to a time many ages in the past. Listen to your heartbeat, and you will hear my name. And you, my friends, will always be part of me. Om Mani Padme Hum.